coming up on the Sark Fighter podcast. Um, I rode my bike a lot and noticed that my performance was down and I would get dizzy. Robin Goebel's sarcoidosis went from bad to worse. Uh, and then I uh, got double vision while I was driving. Robin shares her journey with sarcoidosis through the medications and the search for a way to control the disease through better eating and maybe a better life that includes reaching out to fellow SARC patients and the search for something more. And it makes you really, you know, you feel really sad and you kind of grieve for that person that you were and, and try and figure out now who are you going to be. This is the SARC Fighter Podcast living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Hello and welcome to the Sark Fighter podcast brought to you in part by a grant from Atire Pharma. I am your host, John Carlin. I do this podcast because I want to offer my fellow Sark fighters hope and to help you connect with other Sark patients, to, to hear their stories, to understand how sarcoidosis affects their lives, and maybe that just helps you with your life just a little bit more to see you know, what's normal, what's not normal, how should you be feeling at any given time, and and do other people feel like this, and if I have sarcoidosis, is that the way I'm quote-unquote supposed to feel? And the more stories that I can get out there, the more I feel like it gives everybody a better dose of perspective. And in just a few minutes, we'll be hearing from SARC fighter Robin Goebel, a fellow NeuroSARC patient. She, she has been through the ringer with this disease, the side effects of prednisone, and also the search for a nutritional solution, even going so far as to host an online SARC social for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research on Better Eating, and she will actually share a recipe with us that you will find in the show notes. Now, in the meantime, I promised you that I would update you on my journey with the elimination diet. This is something that a lot of people discover in their search for uh, a way to remove foods that are known to cause inflammation. And so the elimination diet in a nutshell is no dairy, including no eggs, no sugar, and no gluten. And I did it in 2021, and then I told you in my last episode that I was planning to do it again this year, and I did. I did it for five weeks from mid-January to the end of February here in 2022, uh, which ended with a trip to Disney World in Florida. And even though I was feeling great, I had lost uh, 10 pounds and, uh you know, really was was um, feeling pretty good about my bad self that I'd been able to mostly stick to it. I told you that I would be going to a Super Bowl party and the food there would not be in alignment with the diet. And I just essentially took that day off. I drank a beer and I had some cookies and I ate all the food that was laid out on the table at the Super Bowl party. And it wasn't it wasn't awful stuff. Probably the worst thing I ate that day was the cookies uh, I told myself I'd only eat one. They, you know, they were big homemade cookies, and I wound up. Um, I think I wound up eating three of them. But um, so that was a bad day for me for my diet. It was a good day for me. <laughs> it was a bad day for my diet. But other than that, when I got to Florida, and the, the, we had the family vacation. Uh, I just decided, okay, that's that would be the end of it. And so we were down there for uh, for just a long weekend. My wife and I, my my uh, two of my children's kids and their kids, my grandkids, stayed on for a whole week. Um, but we came home. When I got back, I tried to uh, re return to eating uh, in a healthy way and basically keeping the elimination diet in front of me in principle. But... Um, at this point, I am I'm starting to uh, evolve back into my old evil habits, and maybe I'll I'll tell you a little bit more about that later on. But uh, while I was in Disney, this is something that I was trying to get to. We were down there because, and my wife didn't tell me that it was the Disney Princess Weekend 10K. 
uh, she just said, we're going to Disney and running the 10K. And I thought, well, I can, you know, I, I hike. So I, if nothing else, I can walk six miles. So I'll go down and, and I'll do this with him. We get there and it is the it's the Disney Princess 10K. And so we get on the bus at our resort that takes you to the starting line. And, and this place, the bus is just full of people with all this Disney princess stuff and people wearing tutus and dressed up like all the all the various Disney princesses. And and I'm wearing just like black shorts and a black top. <laughs> And I thought, you know, what, what, what have I gotten myself into? I felt way underdressed. On the other hand, there was no way that I was going to put on all that regalia. And I did see some guys that found other Disney characters that they could dress as that, you know, that would have been passable, would have been doable. And and if I had realized that that's what you were supposed to do, I might have done that. Um, But be that as it may, the issue at hand here is, is could I complete a 10K? And my wife is a regular runner. And if you've listened, you know that in, 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 you know, 20 years ago, um, I was running the Boston Marathon. 26.2 26.2 miles and, uh, you know, and, and consider myself uh, quite a runner. Uh, and it's been a long time since then. And with sarcoidosis, uh, I really, I won't even run across the yard to chase the dog because, uh, I have this neuropathy and it just feels awkward and yada, yada. I've talked about that ad nauseum, but anyway, so I thought, all right, I'll run as much of this as I can. And I will not be ashamed to walk and I hope I don't finish last. And there literally there was like, I don't know, 13, 14,000 people in this race. And ultimately, I wound up finishing, you know, like somewhere right in the middle. And my uh, youngest son, who is not a runner, but also just wanted to do it, was with us. So we we basically jogged for the first mile and that felt OK. And then my wife has this setting on her watch and it basically sets you up. So you run for two minutes and then you walk for a minute and then two minutes and one minute, two minutes and one minute. And uh, that was about as much as my son Tyler was ready for and certainly gave me an easy out. So that's what we wound up doing. And uh, and we completed the 10K. And I actually felt so good about myself because I had not done anything like this since my last flare-up in 2018, actually since my original diagnosis in 2016. So, um, yeah, you've heard me talk about riding my bike, which comes much more easily than than running, something about the, the awkwardness with it. Anyway, so I felt so good about myself, and, and I was then I was back to eating badly, uh, and I honestly couldn't tell why everything was feeling so crummy. Was it because I had just run for the first time in X years, or was it because I was eating badly? So, I, you know, I just knew that I was I was going to feel tired, my legs were going to feel sore and fatigued, and all of that happened. But anyway, uh, I am home, uh, and this just this week, and I'm recording now, March uh, March 12th of 2022, um, somebody brought donuts to work and, and I have resisted donuts. In fact, I always bring donuts on Friday nights to work and I don't eat any of them, but somebody brought in these really delicious gourmet donuts from a bakery and I had a donut this week. And then last night, uh, my wife had to work late. I was home alone. I couldn't find any food in the house that sounded good. I ordered Domino's. (laughs) I ordered Domino's. It's like pizza. Pizza is the worst thing. There's cheese, all that dairy. There's pepperoni, processed meat. There's the crust, the gluten. And I could just feel my body struggling to digest this stuff. Uh, But man, that donut and that pizza, it was so good. It was so, so good. Anyway, uh, I am going to try to uh, resume my good ways, but, you know, um, a piece of salmon, uh, just doesn't sound as good as, uh, as some of this other stuff. Uh, I had told you last time also that I was fighting with my insurance company over them paying for Humira, that my doctor had written numerous appeals on my behalf because every year, uh, basically your 
prescription expires in the eyes of it doesn't expire in the eyes of the doctor but in the eyes of the insurance company they want you to reapply for them to pay for something that is off-label for sarcoidosis and Humira is off-label and it is expensive uh, I understand their hesitancy to pay for it for somebody who doesn't need it but come on three appeals and it actually so on the fourth appeal it was approved and I finally received uh, a dose uh, in the mail, because they send it has to be packed um, in a freezer pack um, with a freezer pack, so it arrives cold. Um, and I got it just in time. I got it. I got it right before I ran out of my my last dose. So uh, there's that, and I just don't understand why it has to be that way. And I'm going to keep carping about it until somebody does something about it. Meanwhile, um, I've been talking a lot lately about how I turned the corner with sarcoidosis. Uh, I haven't had a flare since 2018, and I attribute that to the doctors trying to knock out everything in 2019 when I was taking chemo treatments, cytoxin, and heavy doses of prednisone, 80 milligrams a day, slowly tapering down throughout the course of the year. And while my scans don't show that I am totally clean, they still do see a lesion on my spinal cord. Um and there is permanent damage to my spinal cord, I'm not getting worse. And so slowly I've returned to my new version of an active lifestyle, and that includes, I've talked about skiing. I, last summer uh, I trained very hard and cycled up to 100 miles in a day. We went on vacation out west, and I climbed Angel's Landing, which is sort of a famous touristy climb but difficult climb in Zion National Park and I did that we did a lot of hiking and I've been then and since uh, January been working out with a trainer trying to get my core muscles in shape which is something I've never done in my life and this guy is really pushing me to do all sorts of things to try and get my abs and my obliques and you name it uh, but I think it's working um, but I do have a permanent sort of issue because of the neuropathy with my spinal cord where I have a hard time feeling my abs, uh, at least to the touch. And so my theory is, is, that, is that they have atrophied since my, since my surgery back in 2016. It's made it difficult to do some stuff. In fact, I think the reason I was able to get through that 10K at Disney relatively easily with the walk-run regimen is because I had been working so hard on my core with this trainer. Um, but so I've been posting pictures of me because I'm so pleased with my stupid self because I'm able to do this stuff again. So I'll take a picture and post it on Instagram. Look at me, look at me. Yeah, I know that's kind of what social media is all about. Um, and Facebook and all that. And you can, if you want, follow me on Instagram at, at the Sark Fighter with the word the. And if you just search Sark Fighter, on uh, Facebook, you can find the Facebook page, and I, I post different things on there, including pictures of different things that, that are going on in my life. You very likely see a lot of pictures of my grandkids, so just be prepared for that. Um, but I told myself um, that I would not take these activities for granted if I could just get back, and so so I'm just doing it, and uh, I'll just keep I'll just keep on posting pictures. Well. I'm, I'm telling you that backstory because Robin Goble, my guest today, is kind of where I was a few years ago. She has had flares. She suffers from vertigo, which is a loss of balance, uh, which I didn't have vertigo per se, but I don't have balance like I used to. For instance, it's very hard for me to stand on one foot. Um, and she is also searching for answers and finding them in her diet. And she has a slightly different a nutritional report, uh, approach, and she is working with a nutritionist. Uh, and, and a lot of this is working for her, and she is trying to figure out her new normal and trying to deal emotionally with the, the normal that has left. And she talked about all of that in our interview, and her story is coming up next here on the Sark Fighter Podcast. I feel like a zombie just feeding at stumbling Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter Podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the sarcoidosis solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS. Kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 
100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Sark Fighter Podcast. Welcome back to the Sark Fighter Podcast. Joining me now is Robin Goebel, a fellow Sark fighter, a fellow neurosarcoidosis sarcoidosis fighter. Robin, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me, John. So uh, let's talk about neurosarcoidosis, first of all, and then we're going to talk a little bit about your background with nutrition and, and how you're helping other Sark patients navigate their illness and a lot of good things going on with your story here, but when did you start feeling symptoms and what did it feel like? I started feeling symptoms, probably noticing them probably in 2019. Um, I rode my bike a lot and noticed that my performance was down and I would get dizzy. Um, and towards the end of 2019, we definitely had noticed that I was getting out of breath uh, walking between weight sets at the gym. Um, and we thought at the time it was, you know, I hadn't been doing a lot of cardio. I'd been doing more strength training. So we needed to get back on the bike. Um, and I just found it was really hard. What, what really did it was I started having vertigo. Uh, and then I uh, got double vision while I was driving. Ooh. And at that point said, okay, I kind of need to go to the doctor now. Um, I saw a physician that was not my normal doctor. He sent me to an ENT and I said, you know, Hey, what about all my other symptoms? Cause you know, I had the double vision thing going on and he said, you know, first steps first. So in January of 2020, I went to an ENT, saw an audiologist, went through all the tests. He said, there's nothing really wrong. Are you still having vertigo? And I said, yeah. And he said, I want you to go get an MRI of your brain with and without contrast. And I said, okay. And then COVID hit. Ooh. And I couldn't get it. I couldn't get in, you know, to get an MRI. And in the meantime, the vertigo was getting worse. Um, I was having a lot of fatigue. Uh, I couldn't, it got to the point where I couldn't exercise. Um, at one point, um, I was slurring and couldn't say words. And finally, back in July of, of 2020, my doctor said, okay, go get that MRI. And uh, that MRI showed uh, some some pretty significant meningitis. Um, and at that point, I was admitted into Johns Hopkins uh, and had a fabulous team of neurologists who uh, ended up diagnosing me with uh, neurosarco neurosarcoidosis. Was Dr. Stern involved with that by any chance? Johns Hopkins, that's a name I've heard before. Yeah. Um, so the neurologist is Dr. Pardo and the uh, pulmonologist that I see is Dr. Chen in the clinic, I think works with Dr. Stern. Okay. So you, you're Johns Hopkins just outside Washington, DC. I am. Yeah. So they diagnosed sarcoidosis. I mean, was it in your brain? Was it, I mean, where, where was it exactly? So it was really inflammation. They could, it was, and meningitis, it was meningitis. They could see inflammation around my brain, down my spine, um, around my eyes. Uh, and, and it was, it was really, it was pretty severe. And, um, you know, I would have done anything. I would have taken anything at that point to help it. I felt so horrible. Um, and, uh, so they, they told me they were going to, put me on a mega dose of steroids. They did that in the hospital. Um, and IV, IV steroids, IV yep. steroids. Uh, and then following that, uh, we, we added, uh, both, uh, uh, mycophenolate, uh, Celsept and then, um, uh, Remicade to that. And, uh, Dr. Pardo, uh, connected me with the clinic uh, and so I, I stay a part of the sarcoidosis clinic. I have a team of doctors um, that I'm very fortunate to see. Uh, and, and with that, try and stay, try and stay as healthy as I can. So after you went through all that, that experience in the hospital and they started uh, pumping your body full of drugs, um, did that, did that work? Did it get it under control? It has, um, you know, we're, I'm very fortunate. I just had my last, one of my last visits with, uh, with Dr. Pardo in the, in the neurology clinic. And he said, you know, over 95% of the inflammation is gone. The medications are doing what they're supposed to be doing. And now it's, it's kind of figuring out how to take 
care of myself because there's a lot of things that I used to be able to do, um, like ride my bike. Um, and, and I used to be very active and I still have a lot of the fatigue and I still have the vertigo. So um, it's, it's trying to figure out what I can do now that, that, you know, that piece, the inflammation piece is under control. And that's really, that was the biggest thing. And it's been, you know, and we started the journey, like I said, in July of 2020, really with the medications and everything. And nothing worse than getting a chronic illness right in the middle of a pandemic, huh? You know, in some ways it was good because being immunocompromised, everybody was social distancing and everybody was staying in their house. And so from that respect in the beginning, it worked for me. I will tell you now, especially that um, I'm feeling so much better, I'm antsy to get out (laughs) like everybody else. (laughs) Right, for sure. So, man, I tell you, the the fact that you've still got this fatigue, of course, that's a that's a common marker uh, for sarcoidosis. Mm-hmm. So, I guess is your doctor telling you that it's still active in your body, but you just got it under control? Yeah, I, yeah, and and because I ha- I do have it also. I do have pulmonary sarcoidosis as well. Um, but that, that seems to be under control as well. Um, and you know, what, what the neurologists say is, you know, you had such severe inflammation, it's going to take your body a while to heal from that. Um, you, you know, it takes a long time. I don't, it's one thing that I think people don't understand about chronic illnesses like sarcoidosis or lupus, or some of those other things that they, they do a doozy on your body. And, you really have to adjust and and try and do what you can, can do and accept what you can do so that you can can heal yourself. Right. So let's talk about your life before sarcoidosis. You mentioned you like to ride your bike, which if people listen to the podcast know yeah. that I am, uh, you know, an avid cyclist or try to be. Um, so what was what was your activity like before sarcoidosis? I had a very high level of activity. Um, I had a group of friends and we were, like I said, we were every weekend, you know, cycling on our bikes, hiking. Um, you know, I, I, ha- I am fortunate that I still I'm able to work. So, you know, I had a job. Um, I was going to concerts and movies and I was just always on the go, always on the go. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I just don't have that staying power now. Right. So and I, I, I'm curious. So when you're, you're riding your bike, so I would, so I assume you're riding a bicycle on the road, like a road bike. Okay. Yep. But both um, ride and trail. Okay. Okay. So mountain biking as well, or gravel biking or gravel biking. Yeah. Gravel biking. Okay. So you would go out and pretty easily ride 20, 30 miles. Easily. Easily. Right. 40, 50. Oh, no, no, not yeah. no. Okay. I, I know ne- I never felt the need to to do that, but it wouldn't be unusual too to do, you know, several spurts of ten miles over the course of several days. You know, just to get out to be outside and enjoy sure. the fresh air. And and you ride, so you know there is no. that was my mindfulness activity was being on my bike, being outside. That was my happy place. Yeah. Okay. Mine too. So, and, and your, your distances are similar to mine. I might train and do like one event, you know, where you would push it to a greater distance here and there, but it wasn't, wasn't my normal Saturday. Um, So, and then all of a sudden, how did you start feeling when that had been your normal? You know, it's really hard to adjust. I think you go through the stages of grief because you have to adjust to being this new person, um, and trying to figure out what you can do, um, and what you can do that you, you can do that you enjoy, because you find that sometimes with, especially with the fatigue, you're doing the exercise, but you don't like it. And it's not the same where you were doing extra, people do exercise and afterwards they go, Oh, I'm really glad I did that. A lot of times I don't feel glad I did it. Right. <laughs> it does not, it just doesn't feel good anymore. Um, and so it's an adjustment and it makes you really, you know, you feel really sad and you kind of grieve for that person that you were and, and try and figure out now, who are you going to be? Yeah. I, w- I went through a real, real phase like that. And I, I, have you, have you seen counselors or anything like that? 
Yes, I do see. I do have someone that I talked to. Um, It was really hard because of the pandemic to find somebody. Oh, yeah. Um, Really hard. But I I was very fortunate. And I I finally did um, a few probably four or five months ago. And, you know, I highly recommend people who get diagnosed with chronic illnesses because you go through all these stages, right? You go, you find out you have it, and then you go to the internet and you want to find out everything that you possibly can and realize there's really not a lot out there. And, and after that, you, you know, you start looking for weird cures, right? Anything that might cure you. Um, And, and then you start to, you're in that denial phase and then you bargain and then you come to, okay, this is it. And sometimes I think you need someone to help you kind of go through those stages. Yeah, uh, I I agree with you 100%. And I, you know, I was not a person that felt comfortable going and expressing his feelings. (laughs) to somebody, you know, um, but, uh, I went through that same thing and all of a sudden I just, you know, like you, I was active, but you said you were at the gym all the time. Did you, so mm-hmm. you were like a regular at the Y or planet fitness or yep. the local at, gym at the and, local gym. Yeah. Yeah. And so you were doing stuff on the treadmill and bad weather or the, or the exercise bike. And, um, do you have a Peloton by the way? I do not, but I have a trainer for my bike. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I had the same thing. And for people who are listening, that's where you take your regular bicycle and you put it on a, uh, a machine essentially. So you can ride your bicycle indoors and you, you pedal against, uh, some sort of resistance that, that you put underneath the back tire and it spins. And yeah. So, uh, I, I was going to ask you about the Peloton because I have one and you can find me at Sark fighter, um, on the Peloton. So if you ever get a Peloton and you sign up for an account, Look for Sark Fighter. If anybody's listening, do the same thing. So now, do you are you able to go to the gym, lift weights, anything like that now? So because of COVID, I'm a little leery of the gym. Uh, but as things start to to open back up, that is the plan: is to to get in. Um, we do have um, uh, weights and things here that I use. Um, I find that the resistance training is is easier for me than the the getting back on the bike or or walking or things of that nature. Um, I can't lift as heavy as I used to lift, um, but I can do that. And so we do have we do have a small you know set of weights and gym um, and a bar and things like that here that that I use. Okay, how much do you attribute your loss of ability to lift weights to prednisone? A lot. Right. You know, I, I, you know, I said I, I would have done anything when I was in the hospital. They could have said, hey, Robin, you know, we have this bag of gasoline. We need to pump you full of it. It's going to make you feel better. And I probably would have said yes. But now, you know, thinking back, I, I wish I had realized what the prednisone was going to do because it, it's a killer. And the, the plan right now, I'm on a very low dose. And since I'm on the two other medications and I'm doing so well, you know, the plan is to get me off of it. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. I hope you do get down. So you're what, like 10 milligrams or less now or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm down to five milligrams. Down to five. Okay. That's, that's really good because I guess the doctors told me when I was at seven, that's about what your body manufactures on its own. So once you get under seven, you really are at a, at a low dose. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so now this vertigo that you have, what, what's, what's, causing that? And is there any possibility that'll go away? So I did ask, um, because as we were going through uh, a few weeks ago with the neurology team, what my symptoms still were, um, he said it was very common, um, even in patients who had their um, neurosarcoidosis under control uh, and who were, were even, you know, you know, heading towards that full recovery to have to keep the vertigo, that the vertigo is just something that they, they experience. Will it go away? I don't know. You know, I think that's any, that's anybody's guess. Um, It hasn't gone away so far. And, you know, I track my symptoms and what I'm doing and what I'm eating and trying to figure out, you know, if there's something that triggers it. Um, But the answer is, you know, we don't know. I don't think they know enough about it to really say definitively. Yeah. So if you had to point to a, a spot on your body in your, um, with your neurosarc and say, this is where it is. Like for me, it's very easy. It's on my spinal cord. 
Is there, mm-hmm. do you have, is it, is it all over your body or is it in one spot? The last scan showed pretty much no inflammation down my spine. Um, so it's, it's um, in very few, very few places um, around the meninges. So um, I'm very, I'm very fortunate for that. Um, so, and, and I, 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 listeners, I'm sorry, but I'm so fascinated with the bicycling side of things. So I just, I'm going to keep asking bike questions before we move on to some other stuff, but, um, do you feel like you're just too dizzy to ride your bike? I do. And as a matter of fact, you know, looking back, especially over 2019, I actually crashed my bike quite a bit. Um, which, which kind of became a running joke with the the team that I would ride with. And, and it was, you know, my balance was off. And so we've kind of been talking about my partner and I, we've been talking about, you know, do we move? Cause I love being on my bike. Do we move to an electric bike that's recumbent? You know, do I get a tadpole? Do you know, we're, we're kind of exploring options on how I can get back out there this spring um, that won't, a, that won't put me or someone else in danger, uh, and and give me that that feel um, of being outside and that joy of of being on my bike. So we're going to have to do some exploring. Man, I tell you, uh, yeah, the, the cycling is is one of those things that just got me got me through it, and uh, I, I I feel your pain being unable to to go and do that. That's that's awful. But uh, you mentioned that you started looking for anything that could make you feel better, that could heal your body and so mm-hmm. forth. So what, what types of things did you start looking for? So um, I, I have a degree in health and wellness coaching with a concentration in nutrition from the Maryland University of Integrative Health. And, you know, I, I am a firm believer in, in treating the whole body and mind. So I, um, I put a team together uh, of a nutritionist um, and an acupuncturist, and then enlisted the help of some of my friends for from a mindfulness and a social perspective, and said, "I need some help, and and how can we do this?" You know, I had gained more than fifty pounds on the prednisone and didn't look like myself and didn't feel like myself. I was miserable, um, and so I started working with the nutritionist to take the weight off and find and track my symptoms and find foods that triggered me and find found and look to find ways to eat uh, that would nourish me as well. And did that work? It did. Um, I actually have taken off right now, all almost all, but two pounds of the prednisone weight. Uh, and I'm super happy about that. And um, a lot of the symptoms, I think it does help with the fatigue Um, you know, I think that it helped with the headaches, the the things that it didn't help with really is, and, uh, other neurosarcoidist patients often have this and don't realize that it's kind of nerve. Um, it's kind of, uh, common is I do have, um, I do have some peripheral, uh, nerve issues where, you know, my skin is tingling and feels like it's on fire all the time. And depending upon what I eat, it, it'll get bet It'll feel a little bit better or worse. It never goes away. Um, do you take gabapentin? I, I do not. I take uh nortriptyline. Okay. Because gabapentin helps with that for me, that, that tingling in my arms and so forth. So, so you, but you had, you mentioned diet and you, you know, so you've got this background um, what kind of, how do, well, let's, before we get to what kind of works, what was your process? Was it, was it the elimination diet where you took everything away and then slowly added things back? Or what was your process to figure out what was working? What, you know, what, what might be causing those sensations? So, you know, I think in the beginning, you know, when and I work with, uh, Robbie Hildebrand from effective nutrition, and he also has neurosarcoidosis, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because, to me because neurosarcoidosis is, is so rare. Um, but I find these people that I automatically, I connect to just accidentally who also have it and understand. Um, and, and our first, our first um, uh, priority was to take the weight off. Um, and so we, we kind of looked at a way of eating that would start taking the weight off, but then also tracking my symptoms 
along with that uh, to see if there were things that triggered certain symptoms. Uh, and so it was lots of vegetables, lots and lots of, of vegetables, basically whole food. I cook all the time. You know, we rarely, you know, eat anything that's would be considered fast food or, you know, stuff from a box. And then um, a lot of lean protein, a lot of fish, a lot of fish, a lot of chicken. Um, and is that what you of- liked before sarcoidosis? Yeah. And that's what kind of made it a little bit easier for me. Um, I, I, I eat foods that I like, I cook foods that I like to eat. And so as a result, it wasn't quite as hard for me as I thought it would be. Um, or that, um, or that Robbie thought it would be too. Cause he, he said, he looks, um, at my food logs and he's always like, you know, your food has such great color in it. It has such a variety in it. And I said, I, I cook what I like. If I don't like it, I don't cook it or eat it. Um, And so that made it a little easier. I I just found things that I actually like to eat. All right. So you, so you did that. And how long did it take to get rid of 50 pounds? Close to four, four, maybe five months, four or five months. That's pretty fast. It was very fast. It was, and I was coming down from the prednisone as I was, I was doing, you know, changing the way that I ate changing, you know, no, I don't, I don't do sugar. It's mostly water or herbal tea. Mm-hmm. You, but did you before a lot of water, uh, a lot of water and herbal tea before too. Yeah. But right. there was, there was an occasional, you know, soda or milkshake or something like that, but very rare. It's um, hard to find. Be, a, it's hard to find products that don't have sugar in them. It is very hard to find. I make, I make a lot of the stuff that I eat, even the condiments. Really? Wow. Mm-hmm. So you were just really devoted to this. Yeah. I mean, you know, when, you know, that, that first, that first admission to the hospital really scared me. Um, and, and I, every day, you know, I'm so thankful that I had that team of doctors that, that recognized what was going on. And I know that it could affect, it affects so many other people and it affects everybody differently. I really wanted to make sure that I did everything I possibly could to not get back in the hospital again and have those, the same symptoms that I was having. Yeah, no kidding. So when you say you make your condiments, you make your own ketchup? Sometimes I make my own ketchup. Uh, we make our own barbecue sauce. Wow. Yeah. And and you, you can make a good tasting barbecue sauce without any sugar? Not without any sugar, but oh, okay. uh, probably probably not as much as would be uh, in in a bottle. Okay, great. So so now you are you lost the 50 pounds mm-hmm. and you are you're I'm, I'm trying to get to if somebody's listening, what food did you find triggered? Uh, some sort of uh, bodily response with the sarcoidosis. What have you, what did you find did that? And and what have you done to fix it? Um, Caffeine triggers it. Um, Sugar. I mean, you know, any, all those favorite things, brownies, ice cream, you know, that have anything that that had uh, uh, sugar. Um, Alcohol is a huge trigger, a huge trigger. Um, and then actually things that are spicy, um, you know, peppers, um, cayenne, paprika, hot paprika, uh, some of those things trigger as well. And do you think this is, uh, this is just your version of it? Or if people are listening, and I'm taking notes myself, uh, do you think this is probably true across all or many people? You know, people have asked, you know, asked me specific questions like that. And again, I'm not a nutritionist. And I think this is why I think I like the elimination diet too, because you find what things work for you and what triggers you, because what triggers me may not trigger someone else. That being said, we all know that sugar and alcohol, you know, are, are inflammatories, you know, they, they, that's what they are. Um, and, but when I talk with other people, they also find that some of those things, you know, don't work for them either. Yep. How about gluten? 
You know, that's an interesting one. And I think about it and there's not a lot of gluten in my diet, but not on purpose. Um, and so I haven't really, really noticed that because again, I just don't have a lot of it in my diet. Dairy? Very little dairy in, in my diet too. Um, occasionally Greek yogurt, uh, non-fat, plain Greek yogurt gets in my diet, but not, not too much of it. So, uh, but that being said, yes, um, dairy can be a trigger for me too. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when I, uh, and as I think I mentioned, I'm on the elimination diet right now. I'm not going to do it forever. It's I'm using it sort of as a cleanse as we, you know, new year's resolution type stuff. And, and I needed to lose a couple of pounds also. So, so the elimination diet for me is nothing with sugar in it, nothing with gluten in it, nothing with dairy in it. And, and so eating basically, as you've described, you're doing, which is not my normal, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? uh, I kind of watch what I eat, but you know, I, and the Super Bowl is by the time this airs, it will be after the Super Bowl. But as we speak, the Super Bowl is coming up this weekend. Mm-hmm. And I'm, of course, I'm, I've been invited to a Super Bowl party. And I'm thinking, how am I going to go around the table with all the great stuff that everybody's bringing to the party from the brownies to the buffalo wings to you name it? none of it is going to be on the elimination diet. And how am I going to? So I'm thinking about not going to the party. And my wife is like, no, we're going. Our friends are going to feel like you're just shunning them. But I'm like, I can't look at all that food. Oh, you should go. And what you should do is pack your own stuff. Yeah. uh, Things that you like to eat. It is. It'll be fine. You should go. Yeah. Well, I think the host is going to make some kind of special chili, which sounds like that'll have something spicy in it. (laughs) But and I don't know how I'm not going to have a beer watching the Super Bowl and hanging out with my buddies. Um, and this is my group of cycling friends, you know, so we're all, you know, I mean, none of us is off the reservation. It's not like we're all living on McDonald's. Um, but so everybody eats reasonably well, but not super clean, like you're talking about. Yeah. And, you know, I think sometimes, you know, you have, you, I don't know, you have to cheat, um, you know, life, life is too short. Um, and, and we make choices and, you know, there are occasions where if I say I want to have a glass of wine, I normally have a glass of wine, and but find that I'm only drinking half of it because I can already feel uh, the effects of, of the alcohol and end up passing it to my partner. Um, but if if I'm feeling that, I don't deny myself that. I just recognize, especially you'll find with the elimination diet, you'll then recognize what your response is going to be to that food that you're eating. And then yeah. you can make a choice. Mm-hmm. Right. You just, you just add things back slowly. And if you feel like that's a trigger, then boom. Now you said you were journaling or logging all of your foods and your, your body responses. Yes. You, you must have amazing discipline. It, it definitely does, you know, take dedication to, to want to do that. But, you know, um, you know, I have, I have a partner and he has two teenage boys and, I want to be able to to keep up with them and I don't want to end up being a burden to them or to him. And so I feel like it's, it's part of, to do my part in this, I have to take care of myself. Okay. I, I mean, I think that's super admirable, but as badly as people want to do that, like, like taking the time to eat something and then wait and then write it down and then do it again and do it again and do it again and then track it. That's a lot. It is a lot. But again, I, I do work with a nutritionist uh, and he has an app. And so really it's a lot of taking of pictures um, and then in the app, uh, you know, kind of saying, you know, did I, how did I feel after I ate it? You know, what, you know, one to 10, what was the, you know, how'd you feel on those symptoms? Uh, and then, you know, was the meal healthy or not? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, so there is, it's not it's not as tedious as it sounds. You just have to remember to have your phone, take the picture and log it. Okay. Well, that sounds, that sounds pretty good now. So, and how long do you wait after eating something before you decide how it made you feel? There's some things that you notice right away and there's other things that might take a while. So for example, 
you know, sometimes if, if I eat something, I might not, you know, notice that, that anything's going on with my symptoms um, or they're, they're kind of a one or two, um, but maybe, you know, three, four five hours later, I've got a headache or, you know, my skin is really burning <laughs> to the point where I'm like, what did I do, you know, that, that has, is making it do this? Okay, let me go back and look and see what I ate. Um, and that's where I think the journaling really helps um, is because then you can see, go back and see, well, oh no, I didn't really eat anything that would have done that. Or I go, okay, well, I ate these things. I need to maybe watch and see if later on they cause those, that same thing. Mm -hmm. How does pizza affect you? (laughs) Um, I don't eat it very often. Um, but it does cause a, it causes, um, a response that, that hot, that icy hot feeling on my skin, it does cause that to go <laughs> a little haywire. Um, and I will, I will notice um, a little bit more fatigue, sometimes a headache, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's hard with two teenage boys. They like pizza a lot. Yeah. Pizza. Uh, but it, yeah, it's got all, it's got all the bad things in it. Unfortunately, you know, the cheese and the, and the gluten and the crust and all of that. So Okay. So, um, you know, now you are, you, well, let's just take it one step at a time. First of all, so you're looking around trying to find some help and you came across the foundation for sarcoidosis research FSR and you reached out to them and started getting some help from FSR. How did that work? When I was first diagnosed and, and for other people, I think too, when you're first diagnosed, you know, it's a, it's a rare disease. And even if you're being seen at a clinic, if you're being seen at one of the the centers of excellence or you're being seen at a sarcoidosis clinic and and not a lot of people um, who have, have our, share our disease are near a clinic. They they don't have that, that luxury and they have to rely on the doctors that they have. It's hard to know how to navigate, right? It's hard to know what do I, and that was my biggest thing. and, and I'll, I'll call, I'll call out Regina, who was my, my patient navigator. I was like, Regina, I don't even know what to ask. I, 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 you know, I just sit there and listen to them. I don't even know what to ask them. Mm-hmm. And so what, what, what she did and what she helped me do is kind of know, A, I was not alone. I wasn't the only one with this disease and that, you know, I needed to, to advocate with the doctors for myself and how to write down questions ahead of time and how to look at my blood work and and ask, what does that mean? Um, And not be afraid to push back and say, what are my other options? You know, you know, that's one of my biggest ones, you know, again, I'm on, on, on these, all these drugs, you know, what are my other options? You know, can I come off of these, you know, can I treat this another way? Um, and, and they'll tell you they're, they're, they're good, but you have, sometimes you have to know what to ask. So I needed someone, you know, who was like me, who had been through it before that could help me understand how to live and navigate the medical system, but also live with this disease. So when you found FSR, did you start out with an email and say, hi, I'm a new patient and I need help. And then you were assigned Regina. How did that work? So FSR has a patient navigator program um, and that's, I went to the FSR website and I found this program and I emailed and said, I need this. Can you match me up with someone Um, and filled out their questionnaire and um, Mindy got back to me and said, yep, I have someone for you and we're going to, we're going to hook you up. It happened very quickly and it was, it was a very easy process. Um, and so you contacted her. Is it, is it a phone call? Is it an email? Is it a Zoom? What is it? So it was originally um, an email, an email introduction. And then we had phone calls. And she was able to really make you feel better. And she's she's also got sarcoidosis. So she's kind of knows the drill, right? Yes. I'm taking a sip of my caffeine, which will undoubtedly cause inflammation. Uh, <laughs> I guess the one thing I can't give up on the elimination diet. I just can't. And that's okay. Um, that's, that's my big cheat. So after a while, uh, you became an advocate. So you learned enough and you became an advocate for FSR. 
Yeah, there were there were a couple things, you know, that was happening. I started um, I started attending some support groups through um, through Johns Hopkins um, and through some other organizations, and I ran across, you know, a couple of other um, advocates as well. Um, I didn't really get to talk to them, but the more I thought about it, you know, and how much you know Regina helped me, and how the kindness of other uh, Sark warriors who were also, um, you know, volunteering or participating with the uh, Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. I just had decided I wanted to give back to, um, you know, as as a Sark warrior, um, you you feel a little lonely uh, sometimes because people don't understand that you're not saying you know no to the invite because you know you don't want to see them. It's that you know, you had a rough morning and you're just tired and and can't do it. And so it's nice to be able to find that community that just gets you and, and understands. And so I wanted, I wanted to help someone else. Gotcha. And so, so people can reach out to you. Do they, they should still go through FSR. They shouldn't just contact you directly, but you're one of the people that if someone's listening and they've just been diagnosed that we can, that they can talk to you and you can help guide them. Yeah. I'm yeah. I mean, I'm always happy to to talk with other SARC patients and connect them um, also with people who've been trained as navigators to help them. And, and, but I'm always, I'm always around to at least share my experience um, because everybody's experience is different. Um, I am one of the fortunate ones that I just happen to live near Johns Hopkins hospital um, with a team that has a SART clinic and a team of doctors. And I was diagnosed really quickly um, compared to a lot of people that I've met that have taken, you know, years to get a mm-hmm. diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. You, you were very fortunate with that. And, and Johns Hopkins is famous for having a really good sarcoidosis clinic. Um, so you hosted something called a SARC social, mm-hmm. which is uh, which is something that FSR puts on for patients. And you did cooking and nutrition. Yeah, I did a, um, a SARC social on um, you know how to cook shakshuka, and some of the benefits of of eating it. Shakshuka is is a dish um, that is full of uh, it's a tomato and pepper and onion base with all kinds of fun spices in it. And then you crack and poach eggs uh, in it, sprinkle it with some feta. It's really, really yummy. Um, and so, you know, we we did the social because, you know, nutrition is is very on, on everybody's mind because, you know, they want to know how should I eat on this? And a lot of people do do the elimination diet. And so I wanted to show people something that they could make quickly um, that tasted good um, and was probably not likely to, to set anything off um, you know, gave some vegetarian options uh, to it as well. And they got people together to just kind of talk about their sarcoidosis and ask questions and share experiences. And that's why um, FSR does these and they do them monthly. Uh, mine's not monthly, but they do do a different SARC social monthly uh, to just try and bring the community together. What are you, I, I, I believe you told me that you're thinking about doing another one or there's like just a a thought that that will happen, but it hasn't been scheduled. Where where are you with that? Yeah. um, So I've kind of put uh, some formulas in in my head as to how I'd like to do them. um, And I just need to get with with Mindy and the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research and see, you know, what's on the schedule and how can they work me in? Is there a link? Was that recorded? Is that something people can watch? I do believe they recorded that. They did okay. record that. Um, right. We would, uh, we can find out where they they keep that, but it, okay. I think it was recorded. Yeah, Mindy Buchanan is who you. Keep, we keep talking about Mindy like everybody knows who she is, and I, and I feel <laughs> like they should. But she's the the person that we all report to as volunteers for for the foundation with respect to this. And the name of that dish is shakshuki. Shakshuka. Shakshuka. Mm-hmm. Okay, is it is it sounds Asian? Is it Asian? No, it is actually um, more Mediterranean. Uh, it has more African huh. roots to it. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, so maybe, uh, maybe can you send me the recipe and I can put it in the show notes? 
I absolutely can. Oh, well, that'd be outstanding if anybody wants to do that. And the spices in it don't don't light your skin on fire? Uh, it just depends upon how, you know, spicy you want it. Um, it cause it, cause, cause you can put peppers in it. They're optional. Um, and you, you can add paprika to it, but again, optional. Um, it's often served with hot sauce, but it's optional. That's just, that's just it. I take recipes and a lot of times and make them work for me. And so again, um, you know, there were, there were people who, who were vegetarian on the call. So I said, you know, you don't have to use eggs. You can roast some chickpeas. You can make chickpea cakes to put in it. You know, there are other things that you can do. And so that is one of my favorite things to talk to people about is how to modify those recipes to work for you. So, so people were listening today and it sounds to me like you're very optimistic. And I always want people to leave with some sort of reason to hope, what would you say that is? I think, I think there's a couple of things, you know, that, that give me hope is, you know, one is, you know, the foundation of sarcoidosis does have a community and, and, and you're not alone. And that, that in itself, um, you know, is something that can, can bring joy and, and belonging. And that's really important to me. I also believe that the, the team that I have, you know, really helps me. And, you know, I just do my part and hope for the best every single day. And, and I, you know, thank God every day that I, I have been able to, you know, the, the medications have worked the way they're supposed to, and just hope that they keep working that way. And I, that's what I do one day at a time. It has to be one day at a time. But you've been, it feels like at this point, you've been through the worst of it and you're starting to come out the other side. Yes, I, I think so. I think so. I hope so. You know, we talked about it. I don't, you know, we just monitor. We're just going to monitor and see what happens. And that's really all we can do. Well, Robin Goble, thank you for your time on the Sark Fighter podcast. Oh, John, thank you for having me. This was fun. I feel like a zombie just feeding at stumbling. So thanks to Robin for being willing to come on and share her story. Uh, The recipe, by the way, for shakshuka is in the show notes. And I hope she can turn the corner, as I have, and get back into the gym, get back on riding her bicycle, and and to the extent that she can, get back to the life that she enjoyed before sarcoidosis. And also, I have to point out that I, I really appreciate how she reached out to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. She wanted some help. She found a patient navigator, which was a very easy process, and anybody listening to this can do the same thing. And after she went through the process, she applied, and it's not an easy uh, it's not easy to get accepted. There's, there's kind of a rigorous um, interview and so forth because they have to make sure that if you are putting yourself out there and say, I'm willing to help someone, that you can actually do it, and you actually have the time to do it, and in the moment are willing and and able to do it. But uh, she applied and became an advocate herself, and now she's helping other patients who are trying to figure it all out. So once again, thanks to Robin. A reminder, the official Sark Fighter song is Zombie by Mark Steyer and his band from Alberta, Canada, the White Hot Lizards. Mark is a fellow Sark Fighter, and you can actually hear his interview and his story back in episode 12. I call this the Sark Fighter Podcast because, as you know, I'm fighting Sark, so are you. And you might be a patient, but you might also be a caregiver or a researcher. And this is just where we all gather to hear the sarcoidosis story, to hear what everybody is dealing with from all different corners of the earth. And hopefully you walk away uh, after listening to either my story or, for instance, say Robin's story with uh, a reason for hope. And I do release this every other Monday, and my trusty dog, Dougal, is lying at my feet this morning. So it's always easier to record when Dougal is in the room with me. Please don't forget to go back and listen to some of the bonus episodes that I've posted, along with other back episodes here on the Sark Fighter podcast. If you're very new and you're trying to figure out what sarcoidosis is, go back and listen to episode two with Dr. Simon Hart. That is one of the most listened to episodes, and he basically just goes over sarcoidosis 101. What is it? 
uh, what they know about how we get it, all, all of the basic questions that everybody when they first get sarcoidosis is trying to figure out that's that's back in episode two because i wanted to get that out there right away if you want to know more about my deal my backstory that's episode one and the uh, founding of the foundation for sarcoidosis research which has created the opportunity for so many advances against sarcoidosis. It's episode 11 with Andrea and Redding Wilson, who founded the organization because Andrea is a SARC fighter um, because she's a SARC patient. And if you want to contact me, you can send me an email in the show notes at carlinagency at gmail.com. As I mentioned earlier, you can follow the SARC fighter on Instagram and SARC fighter on Facebook. And I just want to tell you that I appreciate your interest in the Sark Fighter podcast, and it really does help me reach more people and grow the show if you share it on your social media. So if you like it, just please just tell one person, just take that link and share it with somebody, send an email to somebody and say, hey, I've been listening to the Sark Fighter podcast, and I know you're also in the sarcoidosis space. You might, you might enjoy listening to it. And then if you get the opportunity, please give it a, a nice review wherever you listen to your podcasts. So thanks again to Robin Goble for joining me here today. Let's hope she continues to see improvement in her life. And until next time, keep fighting. Learn to suffer, you feel your pain someday. Learn endurance, your strength will fade away. Dead man walking, trying to keep up the pace. Dead man walking, counting.